Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. I wanted to share with you two main thoughts. Uh, The first has to do with a biblical perspective on pestilences and the signs of the end. So that's the first part I want to talk about this morning. The biblical perspective on pestilences and the signs of the end. And then I also want to do a historical look at pestilence. And I always like history. I think history gives us a good perspective on things. So I want to do a quick historical survey on pestilences in the past and where we stand currently today in the stream of history. Again, for perspective's sake. So first of all, let's look at biblical perspectives on pestilences. Uh, The Old Testament mentions different types of illnesses um, and contagious diseases and various skin diseases and ailments and and things like that. Uh, We don't have in the Bible the scientific names that we have today, different times, and they categorize things differently back then. But uh, the Old Testament speaks of all these different types of illnesses. And the solution for these illnesses and these different pestilences is rather fascinating. And the solutions that they had back in Bible times, in ancient times, are the, some of the similar solutions, the same solutions that we use today. So, for example, in Leviticus 13, uh, you'll, find, uh, you'll find guidelines about what to do when someone has uh, some type of skin disease or some type of infectious disease. And the solution for that was to quarantine them, Leviticus 13. And it's interesting because it says you'll sh- you shall quarantine them for seven days. Then afterwards, you're going to reevaluate them. And then if they show that they still have signs of that disease or that pestilence, then quarantine them for another seven days. So a total of 14 days. So it's fascinating that even in Bible times, They were calling for quarantine when there was a disease or a breakout of some sort. It's interesting because that's still the solution that they're offering today for us to stay quarantined, um, self-quarantine and self-isolation. And then another method that the Bible speaks of, of dealing with uh, diseases and infectious diseases and illnesses of various kind is washing of water. You'll find in Exodus chapter 23 where it mentions uh, the importance of, of washing your hands and also washing your feet. And for many years, we thought that that was just had ceremonial significance. And I'm sure that it did have some ceremonial significance. But now we know that there is also uh, a very real scientific basis to the importance of washing our hands. So there it is in Scripture, the importance of washing our hands. So I'm encouraging you to make sure you're washing your hands for those 20 seconds. And maybe I'll post a video that I found about the proper way to wash hands. And then another way to deal with a pestilence or to deal with a plague is found in Exodus chapter 12. And this one is probably more anecdotal evidence and I don't necessarily want to say allegorical. It's not necessarily related to what we're going through. But uh, though the word for plague and pestilence is pretty similar, uh, especially in Psalm 91, which we've referenced already. But uh, for the 10th plague uh, that was going to fall in Egypt, The solution to stay alive and and to not experience that 10th plague or that uh, deadly pestilence was to stay inside your home. Now, this is similar to the quarantine that we read about in Leviticus 13, but this one's a little bit different. If you wanted to stay alive, you had to stay inside your home during the 10th plague, which, of course, was the destroying angel uh, that came around. But those who were found inside their homes were found safe. So that's what the Bible has to say, the Old Testament has to say about pestilences and plagues and and cures. 
And then the word plague and pestilence is mentioned in other places in the Old Testament, along with uh, two other hardships. And in fact, there's a famous trio uh, that is the trio of war, famine, and pestilence. And those three, they typically go together. Um, the idea there is that they portray the siege of a city. And so war comes and it drives the people inside the walls of the city so that there's a siege now. Uh, what are the people going to eat uh, inside the wall? Well, they're going to eat their provisions, but the sieges can last a very long time. And so sometimes the people inside the city, they eat all their provisions. And so then uh, war, then famine uh, follows that. And then after all the, all the food is gone and, and people are starving, the end result is contagious disease because there's no more water, there's no more food, and, and people have been in there for a long time. So that's another place that the, that the trio of, uh, or the word pestilence is used in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus mentions the word pestilence in Luke chapter 21, verses 8 through 11. And the Bible says, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. And so as we've read about these signs here in Luke chapter 21, the question to ask ourselves is, what is the purpose of these signs? What function do they fill? Now, some people say, well, the, the function of these signs is to tell us that the end is near. And I think there's uh, some validity to that point. However, I'd also like to point out that these signs have been happening all throughout history. And so, you know, they can show us that the end is near, but it's also they're always with us. Now, some other people say that the purpose of these signs, um, using the illustration of Jesus, a woman in labor and having contractions, that as these signs become more and more intense and more and more frequent of a greater magnitude, then that will point to us that the end is near. And again, I think there's some validity to that point as well. However, what I'd like to point out about these signs is that the purpose of the signs in Luke chapter 21 and Matthew 24, the signs that Jesus described, the purpose of these signs is to show us our human frailty. The purpose of these signs is to serve as a pause to our busy lives. Now, Daniel chapter 12, it mentions that people in the end of time would be running to and fro. And there's different understandings of what that phrase means. But one of the simple understandings of what that phrase means is that in the end of time, people would be busy. They would literally be running to and fro without any pauses. But then we have this sign, then we have this pandemic, and all of a sudden it's a call to pause and to stop. And life stops. And in that stopping and in that rest, we're called to reflect. Which brings us to the second part of today's message and sermon, and that is a historical survey of pestilences throughout history. I think many of you remember your history from history class, uh, learning about the bubonic plague or the Black Death that swept through Europe. I think it began in Asia and then it swept through Europe. Um, I think it says that about 50 million people died during that plague. It killed about a third of the population in, in Europe. Uh, they say that within 10 days of a person being infected, they would die. It was a very fast death. 
And so a few years ago, we had the opportunity to visit Italy and we visited the city of Siena. And as we were taking the tour of the city of Siena, we came upon, upon their cathedral, their basilica or their duomo. And as you're taking the tour there on the outside of the basilica, you'll see these large foundations where pillars were to go. There's even some arches that are freestanding that are unfinished. They're now filled in with with brick. And the tour tells us that the city of Siena in 1348 was a very wealthy city, very prosperous city. Uh, They had a population of about 70,000. And they wanted to build the largest Duomo or the largest cathedral in the world at that time. They wanted to build a Duomo that would rival the Duomo in their neighboring city of Florence, which for many years, the Duomo in Florence was the largest Duomo in the world. And so Siena wanted to have the largest one. And so they started construction. And that's where those pillars come from and those arches come from. But as they were building that, the bubonic plague swept through the city. And so what started with a population of 70,000, two years later, their population was 48,000. That bubonic plague uh, brought the building of the Doma to a standstill. And that's why you see those arches still today uh, standing there. The bubonic plague killed the city's will. It killed their workforce. The city of Siena never recovered from that plague and pestilence, and the city of Siena humbly faded into the background of Tuscan history. And as Rick Steve says um, on the tour, he says, oh, the struggles, the triumphs, and the failures of the human spirit. Coming a little closer to our day, uh, back in 1918, there was the flu uh, pandemic that hit. I think World War I had just finished. And that flu pandemic of 1918, in the 20th century, which is about 100 years ago, it lasted about three years. And estimates say that it killed anywhere between 50 to 100 million people around the world. Here in the United States alone, it killed 675,000 people. So just for a little bit of perspective, that flu. Now, as I think about these and I, and I read about these different historical events of pestilences and then I compare them with what we're going through today, it helps to give me a little bit of perspective. But I try to place myself in the shoes of people who lived back in, the 19, in 1918 and who were experiencing uh, this flu and were seeing millions upon millions of people dying. In fact, I think uh, uh, they say that more people died during the flu pandemic than, than died during World War I. And so I try to place myself in their feet and I try to wonder what were people back then thinking as they were experiencing this? When we read Matthew 24 and Luke 21 about the signs of the end and famine and pestilences and war and these kinds of things and earthquakes, what were people thinking back then? We've just come out of the largest war that's ever happened, World War I. Uh, Now we're stuck with this uh, pestilence, this flu pestilence that kills another 50 to 100 billion people. Uh, Just 11 years after that, 1929, the stock market crashes like it's never crashed before. Then a few years after that, 11 years after that, World War II starts. Nuclear weapons are, are invented. We now have the ability to destroy ourselves. The Holocaust is taking place where millions and millions of people are also being killed. What must people have been thinking back then? For a little bit of perspective. Perhaps it's the end of the world 
the signs of the end. And yet we're still here about a hundred years later. Wars and rumors of wars is what Jesus says, famine and pestilences. But the end is not yet, is what Jesus says. Perspective. And so I don't know what, what the numbers are currently, and the numbers are constantly changing. They're constantly giving us an update about how many people are now infected uh, with the coronavirus, how many people have passed away, um, where the nations rank uh, as far as infection level uh, with the coronavirus. So the numbers change daily. I'm not sure where we're at, but as I read these different historical sources, it helps to give me perspective about where we're at today. But when I think about, again, the purpose of these signs, and when I think about what's happened in the past and what's happening now, what I come to realize is that every generation has its defining moment. It's very important. Every generation has its defining moment. The people that experienced the Black Plague through Europe, that was their defining moment. The people who lived in the early 20th century and experienced World War I and then that great flu of 1918 and then experienced the stock market crash in 1929 and then went through World War II and, and experienced all this, that was their defining moment. That was their defining moment when they were brought to realize, and I think this is the purpose of the signs, our human frailties and our human limitations. They were brought, it was their defining moment when they were brought to realize that there is more to life than the material, physical world. That this world, in spite of all our advances in technology, speaking about even today, with all our advances in technology, with all our advances in science, with all our advances in healthcare, with all our advances in wealth and prosperity and education, we are still vulnerable. We are still fragile. We still need something greater than ourselves. We still need a solution that is above ourselves, that is higher than ourselves. And I think that one of the problems is that we have these little pockets of reprieve and prosperity where we forget about our vulnerabilities and about our mortality. And so again, back in 2008, the economy crashed, the housing crisis, whatever it was, where our country was thrown into recession, the whole world was thrown into recession. Since then, we started to recover, and these last few years were great. Uh, the stock market was doing great, and so we have these moments of reprieve, and we're thankful for those moments of reprieve. We're thankful for those moments of rest and peace. But unfortunately, during those moments of reprieve, we forget. We forget our own vulnerabilities and our frailties, and that we need something that is greater than ourselves. And so listen to me now, this here, what we're going through right now is our defining moment. And we don't know how much longer it's gonna last. We don't know what life will look like after this. This is our defining moment. And the question for us is, how will we respond to it? Will we continue to live life as usual? acting like it's no big deal what's happening. Um, as Christians, I think, as sensible people, we would be remiss to say and act like if what's happening right now is not a big deal. Uh, again, Disney doesn't close because it's not a big deal. The NBA doesn't suspend its season because it's not a big deal. Uh, t tennis, the tennis, uh, and I, you know, I like tennis. Uh, the, uh, the tennis season has also been suspended. There's a lot of money there. The Olympics 
does not postpone itself when it's no big deal. Nations and countries do not go on lockdown because it's no big deal. So I think as Christians, we would be remiss to act like if it's no big deal. So how will we respond? Will we keep living like it's no big deal? Or will we allow this experience, this defining moment, to turn our eyes upward to God as the one who offers us hope for a new day? God as the one who offers us and tells us that one day there will no longer be any sickness, that one day there will no longer be any crying, that no longer there won't be any more mourning, there won't be any more dying that the old order of things that is the order of this world will be passed away. I call you today to choose God. Choose God today during this defining moment. Make God your priority during this time, staying close to Jesus. Lord, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord God. Let's choose Jesus today. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.